Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining us today for the broadcast. Hope that you're being safe as you are driving down the interstate. Pray that you get home safely today. So take it easy as you're driving home. Uh, Be courteous as you are heading back to your home. Well, today we are going to do part two on how to win over the opposition. We are looking at Acts chapter 17, the acts of joy, joy over opposition. And we talked about the fact that you can win over the opposition and you got to do it because you have that habit of graciousness as you debate with people without compromising the truth, but you have that ability to be very gracious as you are debating them. As a matter of fact, the Bible is very clear that we're to be able to give a defense of the hope that lies within us with respect, kindness and respect. And then we have to have the habit of sound doctrine. And so many churches now are dumbing down the Word of God, not preaching the Word of God systematically, uh, not doing it expositionally. And so we have a high view of God's Word. The Word of God is a lamp under our feet. It is a light unto our path. It gives us the doctrine that we need to believe. It allows us to be able to give an answer to the hope that lies within us. And we are so blessed to have the complete canon of God's Word. You also got to learn to get in the habit of dealing with distractions. Listen, there are so many distractions in our world today, and these distractions are going to come. They're going to continue to come, and the enemy is the enemy of distractions. And in Acts chapter 17, we discover that the Jews, they became jealous. They became jealous, and there was people that were gathered together. They were called the wicked men of the rabble. And uh, so they formed this mob together as they're trying to proclaim the gospel. This mob is formed, and they set the whole city in an uproar. They attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring him out to the crowd. So here we got a a major distraction that is taking place. You know, there's a restaurant owner uh, in a village just outside of Jerusalem, and he offered a 50-cent discount for patrons who turned off their cell phones. The reason he did this is because he believes smartphones have shifted the focus of meals from companionship and conversation to surfing and texting and business calls. He says technology is very good, but when you are with your family, when you're with your friends, you can just wait for a half an hour and enjoy the food and enjoy the company. You know how easy it is for us to be distracted by many things, whether it is in our relationships with others or even our relationship with the Lord. We must learn to overcome distractions. Be focused. Well, we've got to win over the opposition, but we also have to seize the opportunities that God places before us. We're in Acts chapter 17, verses 10 through 15. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now, the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness, and they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there agitating the crowd and stirring them up. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed in Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left the instructions for Silas and Timothy to join them as soon as possible. 
Now here we see some interesting things about the city of Berea and the believers of Berea. We discover that they were a noble people that received the word of God with eagerness. Now listen, I want to encourage you to go to church with the eagerness that you have when you're watching your favorite team play football. Uh, My son is a big football fanatic. He's a Patriots fan, and he can tell you all the stats of what's happening with the Patriots and how they're playing and and where they are in the standings. He also is a walking encyclopedia when it comes to our beloved Boston Red Sox. He can tell you the stats of who's got the best ERA and and who has the most runs and who has the best uh, hits and the best hitting average. He knows all that stuff. Can you imagine what would happen if we came to church with that kind of eagerness, that kind of anticipation? I can't wait to hear what the worship song is going to be about today. I can't wait to have the message delivered today. But the people of Berea, they were noble people because they received the word with eagerness. Now, that's what the Bible says. They were more noble than the Thessalonians because they received the word of God with eagerness. Now, as we think about eagerness, maybe the reason we're not so eager about the word of God is because we don't understand truth from a biblical perspective. I read an article by Mike Taylor, and the article says this, truth is getting a lot of attention these days. With this column, he says, I want to write about truth from a biblical perspective. Webster's Dictionary defines truth as the true or actual state of a matter, conformity with fact or reality, a verified or an indisputable fact. In John's Gospel, the 14th chapter, Jesus is comforting his disciples. He has told them that he's going to be betrayed. He also has told them that he shall be with them for just a little while longer. He tells them that he's going to be leaving them, and where he's going, they cannot come. All of this, of course, is Jesus preparing them for his death, his crucifixion, and his subsequent rising from the dead to be at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. As he is speaking to them, Thomas said to him, Lord, We don't know where you are going. We don't know how we can even know the way. Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. This is a powerful statement because Jesus is saying, if you want to get to heaven, you must come through me. In other words, believe in the Son of God and be saved. Jesus also said to Thomas, I am the truth. How can Jesus be truth if truth is a thing and not a person. We know from Webster's definition above that the word truth is verified or indisputable facts, not a person. However, when we look at this from a biblical perspective, we have a better understanding why Jesus said, I am truth. You see, Jesus is the Son of God. He is the second person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in John's gospel that in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You see, John's gospel gives us three vital truths about the word, which is Jesus, that he existed in the beginning, that he was with God, the father, and by divine nature, he is God. John's gospel also says that the word became flesh. That is to say that Jesus came in divine nature, and he became a man, and he dwelt temporarily in flesh among us. As Christians, we take a biblical worldview. As Christians, we believe that the Bible is our final authority. That is to say that we see truth and what is true according to the Word of God, the Holy Bible. 
This is why Jesus, being the word, could say, I am the truth. That is not to say, however, that truth is defined by Webster is wrong. Truth is, in fact, a verified or indisputable fact. We just believe as Christians that facts are laid out in the Bible. We believe every answer to life and the truth on any topic is laid out in the Bible. Jesus was saying to us that it's an indisputable fact that he was the Son of God, that he is the Son of God. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see, our challenge during these difficult days in our world's history is not to get into the word for ourselves and to seek out the truth. In a world today as much fake news and made-up facts, we should at least study the Bible, but we should see that God has given us each a new topic for every day. My hope and my prayer is that we shall search it out and we shall find the fact that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Oh, I want to encourage you today. It was A.W. Tozer who said, An honest man with an open Bible and a pad and a pencil is sure to find out what is wrong with him very quickly. We must understand the truth. We must live for the truth. You know, to escape the error of salvation by works, we have fallen into the opposite error of salvation without obedience. In our eagerness to get rid of the legalistic doctrine of works, we have thrown out the baby with the bathwater. We have gotten rid of obedience as well, says A.W. Tozer. So to be right with God is often to be wrong with men. As we look at the Berean believers, they were noble because they received the word with eagerness examining the scriptures daily to see if what the apostles were saying was true. Psalm 119 verse 34 says, Give me understanding that I may observe your law and I may keep it with all of my heart. It was Corrie Tin Boone, that Dutch survivor of Nazi gas chambers, who told of a, of a thrilling triumph in persecution. A group of believers were meeting in an Iron Curtain country when the church door burst open and two Russian soldiers with guns strode on in. They said they would give five minutes for anyone who wished to renounce Christ to leave and that those who stayed would be shot immediately. As each person searched his heart for courage to face death, a few got up and they left. The officers then went to the door to the church, locked it, and turned to the congregation with these words. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are believers too, but we did not want to worship where everyone was not completely committed to Christ and willing to die for him. May we become part of your fellowship. Isn't that amazing? To have that tenacity. Listen, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you are earnestly in God's word, God will give you that ability to never deny him. It was Jesus who said, If you denied me before men, I'll also deny you before my Father, which is in heaven. Well, there's something else that we can do to have joy in times of opposition. That is realizing that we grow best through outreach. Acts chapter 17 talks about what is happening as the church is growing and how they are outreaching into the community. There's some good ways to reach out into a community. Let me just give you a few of them. Uh, uh, good ways to reach out into the community. Number one, find common connections. That's exactly what Paul did. 
Remember, he walks into that city of Athens and he says, men of Athens, I perceive that you are in every way a very religious people. You know, Americans are religious people. That is no doubt in my mind that they're religious. The issue is not, are they religious? The issue is, what are they worshiping? Paul says, I passed along and I observed the objects of your worship. He says, I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this is what I proclaim to you. What does Paul says? Listen, I know you're looking for the unknown God. I know who he is, and I want to share him with you. This is the common connection that we have. Paul says, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I thought I was doing the right thing as I was persecuting those who were of the way. And he says to them, we have a common connection. We're both looking for that God, the unknown God. Paul says, the only difference between you and me is that I have found him and you haven't. And I'm here to tell you how you can have a relationship with him. Secondly, if you want to grow through outreach, not only do you find common connection, but you also know distinguishing differences. Know who made who. Look how Paul puts it as he's recording what is happening in in verses 24 to 27. He says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. So, So Paul is making a major distinction here, and he's saying, Now listen, you have created these altars. You have built these gods, these idols within these altars. But our God, my God, does not live in a temple. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in temples that are man-made, nor is he served by human hands as though he needs anything. Paul was saying to them, now listen, the idols that you have, you got to bring food to them. You got to take care of them. They are served by you. They are created in your image. But he says, my God doesn't need a thing since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Paul is saying, my God is the giver of life. Not only the giver of life to me, but to all of mankind. He gives, first of all, physical life. And if you allow him to come into your life, he'll give you spiritual life. He gives you breath in everything. And he goes on by saying, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on on all the face of the earth, having determined and allotted periods and, and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Paul is laying it out and says, now listen, there's a difference between idols and the true God. Idols were made in the image of man. God created us in his image. Idols need to be taken care of. They are served by human hands. Idols cannot produce anything. And Paul says, I want you to know As you are searching for the real God, you're not far from him. You're looking for that unknown God, and he's wanting to reveal himself to you. There's something else that you've got to know. If you're going to be reaching out, sharing the gospel with other people, you've got to understand there's going to be various reactions to the resurrection. And as we look at verses 32 to 34 in Acts chapter 17, Paul says this, Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, Some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from the midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysus and and Aragapites and a woman named Demarius, and others were with them. 
Wow. We see these lives being changed by the gospel. Some rejected it. Some wanted to hear more about it. Some embraced it. Oh, I want you to know, my friends, that your life can be changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. This afternoon, I spent some time with one of the dear men of our church. And this man is involved in helping so many other people through a ministry called Celebrate Recovery. And I just sat down with him and spent a little time with him and and I just wanted to hear what God was doing through the ministry of of Celebrate Recovery and how God was using this man. And, And this man reminded me of his story. This man came to Hickory Ridge Community Church 20 years ago. He had a secret sin. That secret sin began to be exposed in his life, and he felt like he was a big hypocrite coming to church. And so he just dropped out. I reached out to this man often, and I said, would you please come? Just come on and worship with us. He wouldn't return my calls. He wouldn't return my text messages. And so finally I gave up on this man, and I said, well, I don't know what else I can do. I've done the best I can to reach out to him. Four years ago, this man gave me a call. And he says, you know, I'm so glad that after all these years, you've never changed your cell phone. I said, I've had the same cell phone number for 20, over 20 years. He called me. I picked up the phone and I said, hey, how are you? I haven't heard from you for a long time. And he says to me, I, I, bet, you, I bet you felt like I, I just dropped off the face of the planet. He says, I, I imagine you're wondering why I never came back to church and why I never got back to you. I never returned your call, your text messages and he says, the reason is I did it is because I was, I was embarrassed. He says, I felt like the biggest hypocrite going to church because I had a problem with alcohol. And I felt like I wouldn't be accepted if I went to the church and my sin was getting the best of me and I was going through a time where I lost everything in my life and I was embarrassed. But he says, you know, I finally hit bottom. And he says, I went to a rehab and at this rehab, I recommitted my life to Christ. He says, now they told me I need a sponsor, and so I want to reach out to you and ask if you'll be my sponsor. I said to this man, I said, I'll be so happy to be your sponsor. I said, but there are some stipulations that I'm going to put on you. Number one is that you got to be part of our church. I says, I, I have a hard enough time keeping up with the members of our church, uh, uh, and I, I can't keep up with everybody else that's not part of our church. And I said, you got to be part of our church. And he said, sure, I'd be happy to be part of the church. And I said, the second thing I'm going to ask you to do is that I'm going to ask you to be involved in a ministry called Celebrate Recovery. And I said, we are starting this new ministry, and I want you to be part of it. I want you to go through the training with us, and I want you to be participating in this ministry. Well, he went through a year of training with us, did all of the homework, entered into this accountability relationship, and today this man is leading our ministry that we call Celebrate Recovery. And he was just reminiscing how far his life has come over the last three and a half years. How God has taken a life that was a mess and turned it into a powerful message. And how he is involved in leading others, not only to the saving knowledge of Christ, but also leading others to be more like Christ. I want you to know God will use you in the same way. You see, so many times we think that God can't use us because we don't have enough information or we don't have enough knowledge. I want you to know that if you are available, God will take you, and he will give you the ability that you need to be all that you need to be involved in his ministry. Listen, God has a purpose for your life. God has a mission for your life. Don't squander the opportunities that he places before you. 
You see, so many times we are very good at coming up with excuses as to why we cannot do what God has called us to do. When you think about having the ability to get past some difficult times, if you will totally surrender yourself to Christ, totally give yourself over to Him, you'll discover that He will set you free, and you will be free indeed. Our problem is that we are striving to make changes in the strength of our own flesh, and we fall every single time. The problem that we have is that we love our sin more than the Savior. You know, sometimes I think, well, I think I need to lose some weight. And one of the dilemmas that I have, and the reason I don't lose weight is because I love to eat. I have to make the choice, do I love Chick-fil-A more than I like to be overweight? And it always seems like I love Chick-fil-A. And, and I can't help myself, right? And, uh, and I, I just can't help myself, and I consume this food. Well, how am I going to get victory over my weight? I will only get victory over my weight when I get sick and tired of being overweight. I had a pastor friend of mine who was, for many years, well over 300 pounds. And I asked him one time, I said, well, how in the world did you get over that weight? And he says, I discovered something. He says, nothing tastes as good as thin feels. And he realized that he felt so much better when he lost weight. That was his motivation for losing weight. I want you to know there's nothing like serving God. There's nothing like being right smack dab in the center of God's will for your life. As you're listening to this broadcast today, maybe you've allowed circumstances to cause you to drift away from your relationship with Christ and you've drifted away from the church. I want to encourage you to go back and start again. Listen, we can't fight coronavirus. We just got to go ahead and continue to live our lives. I'm not saying we don't take precautions, but you know, If you wait for perfect situations to take place or perfect circumstances, you will never do anything. If you stay home in fear, you're going to miss the joy of being involved in the lives of others. You know, every day I drive my son up to Newport News. So if you're listening to me on 64 or uh, 664 or 264, or maybe you're going over the Jordan Bridge, or or maybe you're going through the modern Merrimack Tunnel, uh, I go up and down these roads every single day. Maybe you're sitting on Military Highway. Uh, maybe you're going over the high-rise. Uh, maybe you're going over the Hampton Roads Bridge Tunnel. Uh, you're out there somewhere uh, going up and down these roads. Uh, I've noticed that traffic has really been heavy. As a matter of fact, I drive up and down that road so often, I'm probably on the road four hours a day, going up to Newport News and back and back up to Newport News and back. You know, I don't think a day goes by where I don't come up upon an accident or see an accident behind me around me or traffic delayed because of an accident. Uh, just about every day. I don't, I don't think we go through a day in Hampton Roads uh, where there's not a car accident somewhere. You have even seen one or you've been part of one. Uh, it just happens every single day. So what are we going to do? Are we supposed to say stay home uh, because that would be the safest thing to do? No, no, we go out, but we take precautions, right? Uh, we drive defensively. Uh, we maintain a distance between the car in front of us in case traffic suddenly stops. Right, we, we watch our GPS, and, and that gives us some warnings as to where traffic may be slowing down. Uh, we do everything we can to make sure that we are safe. Uh, just the other day, I was backing out of my driveway, and, and my, my car made that noise. And immediately, I said, oh, great. My brakes are worn out. And, uh, you know, I'm not exactly the best mechanic in the world. And, and so I says, I got to get my brakes fixed because I want to be able to stop quickly as I'm cruising down the interstate. Now, I could have just ignored those brakes 
And, uh, you know, even if you don't have good brakes in your car, eventually you're going to stop. Now, you maybe stop as you're running the back of somebody, but but eventually, even with bad brakes, you're going to eventually stop. And I said, I want to be able to stop quickly. And so I called my friend, the mechanic, and I said, can you help a brother out? He says, sure, bring your, your vehicle over. And and uh, after a couple of hours, he put new rotors on there and he, and he put new brake shoes on there. And it made a world of difference in my ability to stop my vehicle. I want you to know we take precautions, but we don't stop living. Don't quit living just because there's a lot of pressure in our world today. Stay connected. Listen, we need each other now more than ever before. Come on back to church. If you don't have a place to worship, why don't you come to Hickory Ridge Community Church at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock? We would love to have you. And then why don't you join a small group so that you can grow in your faith? My son just spent 30 days in a hospital up in Connecticut. How did I get through those 30 days? My small group sent me cards, sent me gift cards, gave me meals, prayed for me every single day. I got several texts every single day from people in my small group supporting me during that difficult time. Listen, the church needs you and you need the church. Get involved. You will receive a blessing and you will be a blessing. So Lord, I pray right now for those who are listening to this broadcast that they'll be challenged, they'll be encouraged to be connected with the people of God. That they come on back to church, worshiping the Savior, fellowshipping with the believers, serving one another. Lord, we pray this in your name, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for listening today. God bless you. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3220 South Battlefield Boulevard, Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, you go to our website at www.hrcc7.org. No matter what you're going through, remember, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.